1: Hi, I'm Deanna Hayes, a shareholder in Ogletree Deacon's Tampa office and co-chair of the firm's Multi-State Advice and Counseling Practice Group. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Multi-State Monday, our podcast series where we discuss important issues for national and multi-state employers. Of course, this isn't a substitute for individual legal advice, but we hope it will provide a meaningful background for you on these issues. Many of you know, Susan Gorey, a member of our practice group in Indianapolis has been a frequent host of the program. Say hello, Susan.
2: Hello everybody. And welcome again to our podcast.
1: We're also joined today by Trina Ricketts, a shareholder in our Kansas city office. Trina is the co-chair of our national Warren Riff practice group, and she just won an award in Kansas city for being a power employment lawyer. So congratulations to Trina. We're fortunate that she's here today to talk about how to get proper release agreements without losing your mind when it comes to multi-state compliance issues. Of course, many states have different laws on what can be included in this type of an agreement and what needs to be in an agreement to make sure that there's a proper release of claims. So, Trina, what are some things that are different between the states?
3: Great question and thank you both for letting me be here. I'm excited to talk through this topic with both of you. There are many things that are different between the states. Managing the sometimes wild differences in requirements between states is becoming, I think, harder and harder. One of the areas where it is particularly difficult is drafting separation agreements. A multitude of differences i'm going to walk through some of them probably the most important thing to think about and remember is is that one of the biggest things you want in your separation agreement is an effective release you are paying someone a money or some type of consideration in exchange for them releasing their claims so it's really important to consider the states where those employees are located and what the requirements are for the actual release language. And when I say release language, that's the actual, hey, here are the laws that you are releasing claims under. And that can be very different in different states. Some states require specific statutory references. Some states require, you could say, you release any and all claims, and that would be sufficient. Some states require um, certain time differences. Some will say, hey, you have to have a 15-day revocation period where an employee can actually go back and say, change their mind. And if you don't have that revocation period in there, then you don't have an effective release. I think the biggest, well, and there's multiple important parts, but the biggest consideration is thinking about, are the laws that we are wanting to be released properly notated in the agreement for that particular state
2: well Trina you raise a good question um, or a good point about the revocation period because most of us in this space kind of look at that as something solely having to do with age claims is that true across the board in every state
3: um great question and it is very confusing. And I think one of the, one of the things that we, that we see is that employers use templates, right? And which is a great way to be efficient, a great way to be effective, but they have different, sometimes you grab a template for somebody who's not 40 or over. And in order to release an age claim, a federal age claim in every single state, if you have a a one-off termination, you have to provide 21 days for the employee to consider it and a 7-day revocation period. If you have a group termination, which under the regulations is is defined as two or more, you have to have a 45-day period for an employee to consider it, consider the release and a 7-day revocation period. But there are other states, Minnesota being one of them, that requires for all of their claim for all of their state claims a 15-day revocation period. California also um, requires a five-day consideration period. So those things can be very, very confusing. So just considering that you should look at those different timeframes each time you're preparing one of these is an important thing to do.
2: Okay. What about restrictive covenants? Because so many times, we get the question well what if this employee has signed a non compete or non solicit how does that tie into the separation agreement
3: that's a great question and sometimes those things get overlooked especially if you have a a rush scenario or mm-hmm. maybe a maybe an intense separation of a, of an employee those things can get overlooked it is so it's always important to look at all of the agreements that that employee has, has previously signed. Um, That could include, you know, an actual employment agreement that could include, and maybe that employment agreement includes restrictive covenants. Maybe it doesn't, maybe there's a separate restrictive covenant agreement that that employee has signed. So looking at what they have signed before is very important on the restrictive covenant piece, which is what you asked about. And when I say restrictive covenants, I think of not non-competes which are yeah. hey you can't compete with companies that are competitors to us. I think of non-solicits or not which are you can't solicit our employees when you're gone and then I also think of sometime there's confidentiality provisions or you can't take confidential information. Those are usually pretty easy to enforce, but those are generally what I think about when I think about restrictive, restrictive covenants. Do you guys have any others to add to that general list? Do you think that that's all of the ones that are out there generally?
1: that's a good list. I mean, I think within kind of the non-disclosure component, sometimes you see, you know, invention agreements, right? Come up with new material using the company's resources that belongs to the company and making sure that employees are returning that information and equipment and any
3: intellectual property when they leave the company. That's a great call out. So like any invention assignment agreements it is also a very important thing to look and see what if they've already signed those. Whether those are enforceable or properly drafted all depends on the state law, right? So so hopefully those are right on the first the front end when they sign them. Um, but if you but if you're really trying to enforce them looking at those, deciding whether they need to be modified, because you're gonna get it this is a different this is a second opportunity to possibly more narrowly tailor them maybe the laws changed and when and that's true in many instances where an employee signed something 10 years ago and now there's a different rule or a different law or a new case that says that what they signed before is you know overbroad and not enforceable and so this is an opportunity to look at hey do we want to incorporate those agreements do we want to try to reform them? Or if we don't have any of those, do we want to try to add them to our separation agreement at this point in time? All of those issues, whether you can do any of those things, depends on your specific state. Some states are more particular about how you go about restrictive restrictive covenants. And in fact, in some states, you can't have some of these things at all. So thinking about that and, and considering how you want to handle those, especially for employees who are really could go damage the company when they leave. Mm -hmm. Um, So this is your opportunity for an employer to consider whether they need to address any of those, um, any of those types of agreements.
2: Okay. What about other types of agreements such as arbitration agreements? Sometimes we have employees who have those signed because everybody has to sign them. How do we handle that in the separation agreement?
3: Another great question. It's another It is another agreement that sometimes can be overlooked sometimes they're signed you know with the 75 pages that an employee signs maybe Mm -hmm. when they start work right and nobody really remembers them or thinks about them sometimes um, employers are really conscious of them and regularly say oh arbitration agreement we need to incorporate it so there's things to think about one is making sure If your separation agreement has a integration clause that says this is the only, all of the promises between this employee and this employer is incorporated in this agreement. A thing to consider is to look at your, look at your templates. And if you don't want that to be the only agreement, you want to incorporate an arbitration provision. You want to incorporate a restrictive covenant, do so either. So there's no confusion about, what the um, employee or at least empl- employer should consider if they want to do it ex- you know explicitly in the agreement mm-hmm. because it all you know it all depends on a variety of factors. but consider whether you want to do it explicitly in the agreement with maybe even using reiterating the language or consider whether you want to just refer back to those and incorporate them. So but arbitration provisions are another thing to think about, whether you want them whether you, you think that they're important in your jurisdiction and whether they're enforceable in your jurisdiction or in your okay. state, because they're not, right. because they're not all e- as easily enforceable and some require different considerations. Some require them to be signed at the beginning of employment. So there's all kinds of different things for employers to think about when they're looking at the, their agreements they've already signed and also looking at things that maybe you'd like additional things you'd like to have in that release.
2: Well, the last point I wanted to um, ask you about as I was sitting here listening to you, it made me remember. What about in the few states that have mini warn acts? And do we have to explicitly state that there is statutory severance?
3: That's a great another great question. So we are seeing more and more states that have mini warn acts and more states that actually, as part of their the mini warn legislation are requiring mandatory severance to employees in certain situations. So always important to think about whether there's a a Warrant Acted and to consider whether if there is a trigger, whether whether there is a a mandatory severance. Where mandatory severance matters in a separation agreement, right? When you're paying consideration is thinking about delineating what is a required severance under a statute, and what is a voluntary payment for which an employee can release their claims. Because you need to have consideration that's above and beyond what's required to be paid in order for an employee to properly release their claims. So thinking about whether you want to delineate that in in a separation agreement is important. Sometimes it's more clear to employee; they can understand more their payments, and it's, it's easier for them to understand that it is what is actual consideration and what is not. Okay, and that's a good
1: point on consideration. Aren't there some states as well that require specific consideration for restrictive covenants? If we're adding that in for the first time,
3: that's absolutely right. The states are all over the place on what is required for any for restrictive covenants.
1: And just thinking about you know how these situations arise and when employers might want to implement the use of a separation agreement. Trina, can you talk to us a little bit about the difference between maybe a one-off separation and a group termination or reduction in force type program?
3: Sure. So where drafting a separation agreement pops up and where these multi-state issues pop up is both can also be in a one, what do we call a one-off separation, right? Whether, but maybe it's an, could be a voluntary, or it could be an involuntary term. It could be a, hey, we'd like you, we know you're you're wanting to leave, but we'd like you to stay a little bit longer. If you stay a little bit longer and do these things, we'll provide this severance. So I always think of those as, as one-off Um, negotiated separation agreements Mm -hmm. and you might think oh that's easy we know that's an easy thing you know you just you just know the state well frankly one of the hardest questions that I ask employers sometimes is hey where does this employee work (laughs) right? I mean, think about that. Like I live on the, I live a couple miles from the, and work a couple miles from the Kansas state line. So, and often, you know, I might go to a coffee shop on the other side on the Kansas state line and work. Maybe I go down, travel uh, and meet clients on the Kansas line. Maybe we have, you know, there could be employees that work remotely from home in one state and travel into the office and for another state. So that's not an easy question any, or that's not an easy answer anymore is where does this employee work? And, right. I, and I ask it often and and sometimes you have a, a employee that lives in one state and uh, works in... Two different states i mean it's you know there's lots with a new remote workforce it's it's a much more difficult question so looking at those and then you can think about whether you want to include all of those state requirements in that release did you mention group termination programs as well
1: before we get there just one more question on that because sometimes i've seen it where clients might have a template and in addition to thinking about the the laws that are at issue So also don't forget about venue and choice of law, which are provisions that are usually further down in the agreement. But it's my understanding and and trying to jump in that some states will enforce choice of law provisions and venue provisions and some will not. So you may not be able, if you're headquartered in, let's say, Florida, to keep choice of law and venue in Florida if you've got an employee that's never done work in Florida.
3: And Deanna, that's a great call out. I think one of the takeaways also from that is when separation agreements are being drafted, it sometimes is a rush. There's stress involved. Everybody's trying to hurry and get something done and, and to go through the whole document. And <laughs> the, remember that the bottom yep. language isn't just necessarily <laughs> boilerplate, but you know, consider, you know, reading and carefully evaluating the whole document. Because that is something that may need to be altered given, depending on the states at play. And I think Deanna, you mentioned multi-group reductions too. Yes. Yes. Can you tell us a little
1: bit about how separation agreements come into play when you're terminating multiple employees at the same
3: time? Sure. Sure. And that's really where this gets tougher, right? When there is a large reduction in force or a large, maybe it's a voluntary separation program and an employer, especially the HR department, typically this is Relies, you know, the companies rely heavily on their HR team to generate sometimes hundreds of documents, right? So, and you might have 12 states involved. You might have every state involved. I think that there's some different approaches employers can think about. And, but when I'm helping with these, there's some issues I sometimes see that regularly pop up. So maybe it's important also to learn, as I always say, the best mistakes to learn from are those of others. And so a lot of times I'll see. In those not states not properly addressed, I see the forum selection clause or the choice of law doesn't make any sense or it doesn't have any, it wasn't even thought about. I'll see there's no OWBPA exhibit when there's a group termination or I'll say, see that the agreement says this is the only agreement when there was other agreements that the you know employer wished that they would have incorporated. So, so sometimes when they're drafting preparing lots of these, those are the kind of errors that we can kind of encounter.
2: I have a quick question for you, Trina. What about the releases? Should we include everybody?
3: Great question. (laughs) And I have, and and so here's what, what Susan is asking is we have often, you'll see in a separation agreement, who is the employee releasing from claims? You know, and we always have, the entity, and then who else is included in there. So, of course, I I think you should always think about that and think about who should be released. One of the things to look at, especially when you're using templates, is to go back up at the top of your agreement and analyze who is the agreement between. You want to think about is whether you want Sometimes I'll see that the they, that the agreement is between all of the releasees and the former employee. Make sure that you're considering at the at the top who is the actual contracting entity. Think about whether you want it to be the same as the releasee. I like to think about it being those who the agreement is between as being as narrow as possible, and then the releasees being as broad as possible. If we want to go back to the topic of the group reduction. There are some different thoughts and um, considerations on how to make hundreds of um, maybe even thousands of separation agreements more manageable. So there's some different ways and schools of thought on how to do that. And I'm happy to, to walk through those um, if you think that that's um, something the audience would like to hear.
1: Yeah, I think that would be a great on whether it makes sense to try to. Have separate agreements for each state or bundle agreements across various states, and also how to manage, you know, if you do have employees over 40 as part of a group reduction, how to handle the OWBPA exhibit and additional disclosures that you have to provide to those employees.
3: Sure, I'm happy to. So I think about it on a continuum of what are the kind of the options when we have voluminous states involved in a reduction in force. So the first option is you have templates for every state. So Virginia has a template. Missouri has a st- template. Kansas has a template. And and then often you have to have a under 40 version of that and then a 40 plus version of that, depending on what your group termination looks like. And then now we have McLaren-Macomb decision, which sometimes requires a supervisor under 40 non-supervisor under 40, supervisor 40 plus, supervisor under 40. So then you almost sometimes you have four templates for each state. But that is an approach. And the tough thing with that is sometimes it's hard on the HR team to get the exact right template to the right person with the right OWBPA exhibit on it. So that is one way to do it. Another way to do it is a, a term that I called we use it, it's called bundling. We we bundle them. So for example, the bundle the states. So you might be able to put Missouri, Kansas, um, Texas, Nebraska, Iowa. I'm, I'm just picking all the states around me, by the way, because I know what, what their requirements are. But you can put them all together, all of the states that kind of don't have specific requirements. And you can use, and that way that minimizes the the amount of templates that HR has to put together. The next approach is, and which is the least amount of templates, is you can have an agreement that has an appendix. And the appendix has Texas, Missouri, Kansas, um, Virginia, California, all of the different states that are at play has that release language or requirements on an appendix. So there are different ways to think about how to handle, handle these. I think that, you know, employers make the decision on which approach to take based on their own risk tolerance, based on their capabilities to get these out the door, and other types of considerations. So those are different ways to handle and make it more manageable to get out documents for a large-scale reduction.
2: Those are great tips, Trina, and I don't want to add more kind of fuel to the fire, but A couple things come to mind as we wrap up here. What about last paycheck rules and? Any kind of unemployment agency reporting or forms or documents. Do we have to address those in separation agreements?
3: Add the fuel, add the fuel. <laughs> these are <laughs> these are things is where everybody's working so hard on getting release agreements done, having meaningful discussions with them especially in a group termination, having meaningful discussions with employees, making sure that the transition is smooth as possible, last paycheck rules and unemployment agencies. You don't necessarily, you know, these aren't necessarily things that have to be addressed in in an agreement. If you can, sometimes you'll see a separation agreement that says you're going to be paid all of your pay through blank. And, And so that would be, you know, so that they know that that's what they're going to get and it's not part of their consideration for the release. But it's very important to know if they're terminated, there's, especially in a lot of states, a lot of times you have to pay on their last day of employment. That's not every single state. There's also states, and this is also goes back to how managing the chaos of the multi-state world, right, is some states require certain notices to unemployment agencies if there's a certain volume of of terminations, or if there are, uh, sometimes it's voluntary, sometimes it's required. So thinking about not losing sight of some of those of some of those things. And they might already be built in an employer structure.
1: And Trina, I think we've covered a lot of ground so far. This has been so helpful. Any kind of big picture takeaways for our listeners as we wrap up?
3: Um, sure. I think planning is very important. This can be very, especially a large scale reduction, is stressful. And so th- thinking about the states at play, thinking about where people in this remote workforce, it's not in, you know, like I, like i mentioned it's not an easy answer so planning ahead thinking about the different state issues before you even start drafting anything is something to to consider and is is helpful in the process if you're if you are you know in both one off situations and also in group terminations but be careful remember you know laws change all the time things change all the time so be careful with using the templates and then just stay up to date you know it's i mean It's hard to do, frankly, because the laws change all the time. Utilize whatever resources you can to stay up to date on all the changing laws.
1: Absolutely. And if you're not signed up for Ogletree's publications, we have newsletters and blogs and podcasts and webinars that address these changes in state laws as they occur. So we're we're trying our best to help keep you on top of these things and really appreciate everyone joining us for another episode of Multi-State Monday. Thank you so much thank you Susan for joining us
2: together. absolutely thank you so much
1: thank you both take care everyone
2: bye bye
0: thank you for joining us on the Ogletree Deacons podcast you can subscribe to our podcasts on Apple Podcasts or through your favorite podcast service please consider rating and reviewing so that we may continue to provide the content that covers your needs. And remember, the information in this podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice.